My name is Jensen Karp, and I'm a professional comedy writer, producer, rapper, and former morning show DJ. But above all else, I'm a sports fan. And sure, the days keep passing, but they couldn't be more boring. Unless you're obsessively refreshing Jordan Clarkson's TikTok account, seeing your favorite sports star do anything athletic is nearly impossible. And I'm going to be honest, I'm extremely worried. Even during wartime, when athletes like Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio went off to war, sports still continued on. Shout out to the Rockford Peaches. I'm taking it all pretty hard. So it got me wondering, if I feel this bad about it, then how do the athletes feel? So that's what this podcast is all about. I'm talking to the athletes and sports industry professionals to see what they're up to, how they're holding up. Are they still training? Do they miss playing? Did they hear about that tiger that tested positive? How'd that happen? And who's testing tigers? Anyway, this is the No Sports Report. Jay Williams has seen some shit. One of the greatest athletes in the history of Duke, an institution synonymous with college basketball, he led the team to a national championship in 2001 and was named National College Player of the Year in 2002. When he was selected second overall in the NBA draft by the Chicago Bulls, everything was moving in the right direction for Jay Williams. Until it wasn't. After a somewhat inconsistent rookie season and issues with immaturity, on the night of June 19, 2003, Williams got into a motorcycle accident that would forever change his life. Crashing into a streetlight, Williams severed a main nerve in his leg, fractured his pelvis, and had three dislocated ligaments in his left knee, including the dreaded ACL. His career was over, and to add insult to injury, he had violated the terms of his Bulls contract by just riding the bike in the first place. He did attempt to return to the game he loved, now a more evolved, realized person, but he could never find his pre-accident step and quietly retired soon thereafter. But what may have been the end for some was just the beginning for Jay. He entered a career in broadcasting, paying his dues as a commentator here and there, learning the ropes mostly for college basketball, where his legacy was still hard to ignore. And in 2008, ESPN hired Williams as a full-time game and studio analyst, and now it's hard to avoid the dude on the channel altogether. Always controversial and willing to put his real-time thoughts out there without much editing, Williams is a dream guest for this podcast. The nation is facing our own moment of clarity, and who better to lead us than someone who already found his way out? And yes, he has some very weird ideas about cruise ships. And now, my conversation with survivor Jay Williams on the No Sports Report. Call from Jay Williams. To accept, press 1. Well, Jay, thank you so much for doing this, man. No, are you kidding me? You know, I've been spending time with my family and just relaxing, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So you're from New Jersey, uh, but where are you locked in now for this quarantine? I'm from New Jersey, but I live in Brooklyn. So I, I live in Dumbo. Um, unfortunately, my name is Jay, and I live on Jay Street. Uh, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And now you're stuck there. How how has quarantine been for Jay on Jay? So, you know, for us, it's a really... It, for for the whole country, it's a really weird time. But mm-hmm. my daughter is immunosuppressive, oh. so we're trying to be hyper vigilant as it relates to her. And having a daughter has changed our lives. Mm-hmm. So being first time parents, I think we already started. We were a little bit drastic before. I think the the bug caught on, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think we're just kind of staying in this mindset until we figure out what our next step is. Absolutely. How old is your daughter? I, I have a nine-month-old son, so I'm sort of in the same part ballpark as you as being oversensitive towards these things. Yeah, well, first off, congratulations. That's awesome. What's his name? 
Thank you. Adler. He, he was also born with a chylothorax, which was this very strange lung disorder where it was like filled up with liquid. And so obviously that's a very scary coronavirus condition because that's where, you know, obviously all of the problems happen uh, in the lungs. And so we have also been, even before this, we created a bubble boy. So I'm sure you're in the same category. Yeah, well, congratulations on your son. Uh, I I hope he continues to stay safe, my man. And, uh, you know, yeah, my daughter is 18 months, Mm -hmm. so she's getting bigger by the second. She's talking and trying to put together words and sentences. And it's been, you talk about a a mind-shifting event, having a child. I recognized I wasn't doing it maliciously, but I was a very selfish person before I had a child. So uh, now just everything is done for her and for my wife, and that's the way we try to live. Isn't that the truth, though, Jay? Like, I, I, It's such a self-deprecating thing for me to say as well, but I, I feel never in my life have I pointed out to myself and noticed how selfish I've been. And maybe it's because both of us had certain specific focuses of career or something, but like, I also... You don't know how uh, everything revolves around yourself as much until something enters your life that is even so much more important than you. Well, I, I will say I, I think it's safe for me to be myself as a workaholic, and I, I think it's something a lot of us have a lot of us have issues with. You know, it's interesting you brought up this point. I would love to get your opinion on it too because we had this moment at work. I work at ESPN, yeah. and I think a lot of work culture environments are like this where, hey, we're asking you to do something. You have the option to say no, but then you can also potentially, if you do say no, that could be held against you in a court of judgment with your job if you say no. Now, at ESPN, I could work uh, from 6 in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. It's all considered one workday depending upon all the live shows. So I I think for me, when this whole thing started to happen, it, it was a very big challenge for me. And my wife really posed it to me about saying, no, I don't comfortable getting on a plane and traveling out to Los Angeles for a Clippers Lakers game. But it was also extremely rewarding because I had to really sit there and take a second to reflect upon where my priorities were. Mm -hmm. And as much as I wanted to continue to make a name for myself and to move up the chain work-wise, at the end of the day, I'm only working for my family. I'm working to make sure that my daughter is safe, she's protected, and that I can give her the best education and also for my wife. So I I should never think about jeopardizing that. And and this whole coronavirus, I think, has really forced companies to just recalibrate that thing. And now if you're sick, go home. You can work from home and uh, seeing how much more efficient companies are in working from home. So it, it is an interesting shift of mindset being a parent first off in general, but then how it's applicable to the workplace. Absolutely. And, you know, I, uh, my story is insane because I was a morning DJ here in Los Angeles uh, for mm. an alternative radio morning station. And and we were let go mid-pandemic, which made like mainstream news. People were totally freaked out by it. But when I, when I was still going into the studio during coronavirus, my wife would be like, why don't you just tell them no? And I, I would say to myself, well, I, I really don't feel comfortable doing that. And like you said, I think it's, we were raised in a culture of maybe seeing how everyone does four or five different jobs. And, you know, obviously you overcame a lot to be where you are today. And I don't know if either of us or our whole generation of men going out to work and try to, uh, you know, supply for their family. I don't know if we don't take those risks. It's very strange. And I, it's weird. We both see that. 
And it's also, I don't know if you felt this way too, but, you know, growing up, I, I've, before I found my incredible wife, uh, I remember having a girlfriend that would say these little things that I guess just stick in your mind psychologically about, you know, be, be a man, mm-hmm. hey, be a man. Absolutely. And it's always, it's always been interesting to me. Like, what does it mean to be a man? And I think that was more in the bravado sense that she was making mention of that. But it's like, you know, it's being in tune with your emotion like that. That's being a man, yeah. uh, you know, being aware of what, how your your significant other is feeling. Like my wife has put me on to Esther Perel and I listen to Esther Perel all the time about relationship work and wanting to build a foundation of trust because I have some issues coming into our marriage that I didn't necessarily address yeah. uh, because I didn't work on me. I was too busy working on my craft instead of working on me. So I think all these are things that just kind of help you recalibrate what it means to be full. So when people say, oh, what does it mean to be a man? I'm like, no, the question is, what does it mean to try to be full, to understand that I need to continue to work on me because working on me helps us work on us as a whole. And it's a... And and what better time and what better opportunity do we have than now to do that kind of work? One million percent. One million percent. That's if you choose to see it. and. I don't know if a lot of people make that choice, though. That's the question. Yeah. So uh, what have you guys been doing for quarantine? On, on a lighter note, what, what have you guys been doing just to pass time with the kid and your wife? Yeah. Um, you know, on Sunday, I woke up and I got my daughter up, which uh, is always a really cool thing, because usually I'm out of the house really early in the morning, um, like around 5 a.m., so I don't get a chance to see my daughter wake up and spend time with her. So I... Um, I put on some Rhea Callis. She is a famous opera singer outside. And my daughter and I watered the plant together. And I had a conversation with her about photosynthesis. I know she's not two yet, but it's okay. You can always think outside the box and about the sun. And, you know, I'm going to be real with you, man. This is me being vulnerable with you. My, My work schedule has fluctuated so much. I haven't had a lot of those times with just sustainable moments being in it with my daughter without being pulled in a, another direction. You know, you feel this as you become a parent with, I have to walk the dog. I have to get the mail. I have to pay these bills. My wife needs me to do this. How are we creating time for my wife and I to go out to do things? You know, so what kind of time I'm spending with my daughter, man, I'm really tired. I have to film this. I, I have to read this article. There's so many of these daily things that we end up being busy with that, I found myself almost being slightly uncomfortable in this stationary position with my daughter and psychologically working through that. Like what things did I want to talk to my daughter about? Uh, what things did I feel like were important for me to articulate to my daughter? You know, what kind of fun conversations could I have with her? How can I plan conversations with her? Sure. How do I plan things around us, do around the house and things for my wife? So it's forced me to kind of pivot and all that energy that I think I was putting into what I was doing work-wise, I am now trying to transition into my family. And right. it's just becoming a lot more rewarding. I would say, yeah. I mean, even just with the phone, I mean, it's there's so much responsibility of having a job and a bunch of jobs, especially in entertainment and content. It's like you're drawn away, checking that email, checking the content, checking all these things that are going on. And this pandemic really has put that in perspective, I think, for a lot of people. I agree, man. I agree. So it's, you know, doing that and... uh you know, hanging out, taking my, I, I will tell you, I now understand a little bit why my dog, his name is Denzel Washington, why he's called man's best friend, because sure. sometimes our three, our three walks a day 
they're legitimate great walks. Absolutely, great same walks. with me. Yeah, you, you, you sort of take in the atmosphere a lot more, and and when you, it's almost like you don't know what you got till it's gone. And now, now we're sort of learning what we had. So hopefully, when it comes back, we'll we'll respect it a lot more. Uh, so your dog's name is Denzel Washington. <laughs> what is your favorite Denzel Washington movie? Uh, we were thinking about getting another dog and naming him Ethan Hawk. <laughs> so I would have to go with Training Day. Okay. Training Day would probably be one of my favorite movies. Training Day, and then he got game. I was going to say, it has to be he got game. You you were the college basketball star, and there's a movie that you could actually live through. I thought for sure you'd say he got game. Yeah, but you know what? Like, I, I wasn't born in Coney Island. Like I didn't, I didn't have that kind of upbringing. Like my dad was actually around. And there, so I, as much as I relate to it, like uh, it's different upbringing, you know. I, I was I was fortunate. So. Fair, fair. Yeah, uh, but I still. Hey, look, Ray Allen. Ray Allen's like a big brother, so he's still that's still one of the all time favorite movies. Great movie, great soundtrack. As you know, communities are experiencing these difficult times differently across the country. Feeding America is working tirelessly to ensure our most vulnerable populations, students who are out of school, the elderly, individuals whose jobs are impacted, and low-income families continue to have access to food and other needed resources during this emergency. The Feeding America Food Bank Network is committed to serving communities and people facing hunger in America during the COVID-19 pandemic. Right now, their greatest need is donations and support of local food banks. This series is committed to donating all proceeds from the show to Feeding America, and we hope that you can join us in this effort too. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org backslash COVID-19. Uh, well, we, we get into sports a little bit. The NCAA men's final would have been played this past Monday. You, in my opinion, are one of the greatest mm-hmm. college basketball players of at least the aughts, if not all time. And I wanted to ask you, you about more from a professional level of canceling March Madness. You know, most people are mad they just can't, you know, partake in their office pool. But what does this mean for the young men who are looking to compete in what would be the most important tournament of their lives and, you know, the center stage for most of their careers? Oh, it, uh... Yeah, I think obviously it's devastating for a lot of individuals, both men and women. You know, I go to Sabrina Inescu, who plays Oregon, and she's going to be a terrific WNBA player. You know, but her whole quest was to ride off into the sunset on a horse and be a champion. This team was absolutely dismantling teams this year in college basketball. And when you think about a player of her or any player that didn't get a chance to experience the magic of March Madness. It is from somebody who has participated in the event three years in a row and having the fortunate opportunity to win a national championship. There is, it's almost, it's inexplicable. It's, you you can't put it into words, the sensation it gives you. It's almost euphoric participating in this monumental event that you know for three weeks, you are going to be the center of attention of our country and internationally. Mm-hmm. It is one of the biggest events and how fans can ride with the underdogs and, you know, Stephen Curry, a name like that becomes a household name exactly, because of yeah. the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a chance to see, you know, like the team that was from Chicago, Illinois a couple of years ago, how they become 
you know, Sister Mary and how they become like the team that you learn everything about who these kids Absolutely. are and what their accomplishments are. It, it, it's heartbreaking that that doesn't happen. Jay, I could never tell you where Gonzaga is, but I can tell you that I know every year they're in the in the March of Madness. I mean, it makes and breaks names. It makes and breaks schools. It's important for all of them. And I wonder, you have a rare perspective being on both the NBA side now and in college basketball analyzing for years. It's a very basic question, but I think it's important to be answered, which is how does the NBA still have a draft if there's no tournament or really any strong combine, like eligibility questions? Where do all these things fall when going into the NBA draft? It's going to be a day-by-day type of situation. And I think the more GMs and the more scouts and, and presidents of organizations I speak to, you can't have an NBA draft until you have the completion of the season one way or the other. So I think that's the first and foremost question about you know what the NBA will do as it relates to the 2020 conclusion to the season. It, it, it's looking like everything is moving in the direction of them not being able to do that thus far, in my personal opinion. I just don't see, uh, with the expansion of COVID-19, how you can actually put players in jeopardy, especially if you don't have enough testing. But even if they were to privatize and get these testings, you know, what kind of look is that on the league overall in general if the league is getting all of these testings, but, you know, then everyday Americans who are struggling with this disease can't get testing. So it does put things in flux, but I, I will say from talking to people on the NFL side as well, there you are seeing a lot of teams and their IT department really focus on the technology they use in which to watch workouts. So maybe somebody has a Zoom equipment that's set up in their house and they could put people through individual workouts with their trainer to try to watch and, and make that decision based upon tape. You know, a lot of these scouts still do have tape of people that have participated in collegiate sports, NCAA, yeah. the regular season, and the same with football. So I, I think they will be able to find a way to be malleable and to work through depending upon where they are technology wise, but that's going to be critical for how they assess and make some of these decisions. I know it's going to be such, it's going to be almost money ball at times, I think moving into the draft. And yes. I, I it's, it's, at this point, I'm almost going to depend on 2k to tell me who next year is going to have a strong jump <laughs> shot. Uh, so you've taken some heat over the last two weeks for saying that you think it's important. Basketball players do get back on the court at some point. I know that you've had a bit of a shifting opinion, which I love. I actually, I, I celebrate the idea that you've allowed your knowledge over the last few weeks to sort of change up and down the things you're saying, uh, which I, I agree with. But do you think, were you surprised by people being so passionate to your opinion? Uh, I wasn't surprised because I, I think what happened with my opinion is a, a bigger issue that happens in our country. And it, it's really funny the way that worked out. And I appreciate you bringing it up. I was not expecting you to do that, but... So what happens on TV is that I was on a show. I was on 8.15 in the morning. 8.15 until probably 8.19, okay? Mm-hmm. Four minutes worth of content. So Mike Greeny, Greenberg had prefaced our whole conversation by saying, when we come out of this, when we're on the other side of this, let's say in June or July, we're, we're, we're coming out of it. We have enough tests, but the NBA still doesn't feel comfortable enough to let fans participate in the games. And it was sound from LeBron James saying on a podcast that he doesn't know what a supporting event is without fans, right? Yeah. So we have prefaced the whole statement by saying, once we're out of this, once we're in a better place, physically, psychologically, mentally, as a country, we're out of this to a degree, but NBA doesn't allow fans to come back. And I then said, I hope, you know, that players, I would implore them to think about all the struggles that their family or people have had, people have lost their lives, or 
I had a friend that was going to the hospital to have a kid and her husband couldn't go to think about that being a bigger challenge than you learning how to manufacture energy on your own in a gym by yourself right. to, to play, to give bands a breath, right? But then, so that's, that's the conversation in its entirety. But then the clip gets posted, and the clip doesn't give context. It just has me making a statement. Yeah. And the statement makes it seem as if I'm saying, I implore players <laughs> yeah, put to it play. Back on the court. We need you to come back for the fans. And I'm like, whoa, that's not... That's not what I said at all. Yeah, because when I was doing research, too, I noticed you were very adamant to the NCAA and NBA about when they should cancel exactly when they did. I mean, you were so vocal about it. And then to have that clip come out, I was like, yeah, that doesn't it feels like something was weird. Yeah. And it, it, it happens all the time. And it's really weird because I you know, obviously I know that we live in the world for clicks, mm -hmm. uh, clicks. And I, I think obviously there's metrics that determine how successful a show is by what kind of clicks they get. But you know, for me, I, I then spent the whole next day kind of trying to defend myself about giving context to the statement. But then that clip lives out there forever. And then you get into a situation where I'm on the phone with them. I'm like, can we can we take it down? And then my PR guy's like, well, if you take it down, then it becomes bigger. And you're like, it, it, so you're you're kind of stuck. But that's media, though, right? So it's it's retrain me how to watch media in a different way. So if I see a clip from a press conference. I think, and I think this is a big lesson for how we should view media in general. And almost in a way, I don't want to watch the news anymore. I just, I wish the news would let all these things happen. And then at the end of the day, just give me the facts. Yeah. Like I want everything fact checked and I just give me the facts like in black and white. And for me now, when I see clips, I go back and I try to watch it in its entirety so I can understand context because sometimes you know, we forget context and people just want to jump on what the hot topic is and make statements without actually doing some due diligence. So, yeah, man, that's but that's how quick it can turn. And yeah. That's how quick you can find out people throwing shade at you. Well, I'm happy that you were able to, to sum it up here, but I also need you to further explain the cruise ship idea because I am either yeah. behind it 100 percent or I think you might have been crazy for five minutes. I have to figure out between the two. OK, so first off, I was in a position where I was trying to ideate on you know, what are feasible case scenarios for the league? Mm -hmm. And the NBA and their team was saying everything is on the table. Everything is on the table for us to try to think about optionality here. And we were trying to come up with a resolution saying, okay, hypothetically, I, I know how people get with germs and infestation, obviously on cruise ships, right? Mm -hmm. But we were trying to find a way because players would not want to leave their family. If I were a player right now and my family, and granted, this is just through the sports prism. We have a lot more things to worry about than sports. Sure. I just want to preface that. Obviously, uh, yeah. We have to save lives and figure this whole thing out. We're just purely thinking through sports to kind of relieve our mind away from the trouble and the, just the issues that the world is facing. So we were saying, okay, if you can, some of these cruise liners are massive, okay? If you're able to build a couple of courts indoors, Players have already had familiarity with staying on luxury cruise ships when they stayed in Brazil for the Olympics in Rio. Okay, 14 basketball players said they had a deep experience on a cruise ship. So what we were saying is that the NBA found a way to get enough testing where you're able to bring that player and their immediate family, their wife or spouse, significant other, or children to be on that cruise ship with them, and they all pass the test. If you're able to do that, then you're able to move off of a location of landlock. You're, I don't know, 30 feet out, but you're, you're isolated. 
And then you could potentially have a safer environment because everybody's getting tested and you don't allow anybody else in the cruise ship to actually find a way for a 30-day period to have the NBA playoffs. It was a thought. Um, I thought the thought was better than going to Vegas. I don't know if I trust younger players in Vegas and the decision-making. Dude, I don't trust Vegas when it's healthy out, let alone when we have a coronavirus, but go on. Agreed. I'm yeah. with you, my man. Yeah. So, and I, you know, look, I made poor decisions when I was 21. I understand, but you know, that was also a couple of weeks ago. And, and now I look at this scenario, and I keep saying to people, it's just becoming more and more unrealistic that we are going to have playoffs. Yeah. It is, and I, I think we need to start having more of a frank and blunt conversation about it because I can't reasonably justify looking into a, another player's eyes and saying. Hey, I need you to leave your family for 35 to 40 days or two months to play NBA basketball. And I I can't guarantee you a safe environment. I can't guarantee you the amount of testing. It's, um, I don't know if I could realistically do that as a human being to another human being. Sure. So I think that's where we were two weeks ago, and this is where I'm at now. I agree. And that's what I like so much about what you've been doing, because I've been researching your sort of thoughts on these things, and they've evolved. And I think it would be weird if someone had the same opinion the whole time. I think I was on real time as well on the radio when this first broke out, and we made jokes all the time. I mean, we had a we had a It's Corona Time theme song. I mean, this is not something we would do a month or two later. So I, I see where you're coming from on it. Uh, we usually try to end this with something a little positive positive, and then we'll we'll go to something stupid. Uh, First, is there anything from this, is there anything from this time that we're learning here as a society that you hope sticks with us? I really hope the, the way people work is forever changed. I think a lot more companies are recognizing that you don't need to have thousands of individuals in one location to be more efficient at your job. I've watched my wife work remote for the last three or four years. And the amount of things she's able to get done at home would blow your mind. Way more effective with her time and calls. And the calls aren't spent frolicking around doing different things, like joking around like you would do with an in-person meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, the in-person meeting, there's a different kind of you know feeling that that gives off. You get a chance to see the person. But I think now with Zoom and technology, you still get a chance to visually see that in a person. So I, I, I really do hope this changes the way that we decide to work. And maybe Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 1000 companies, maybe you come into work two times a week now. And there can be the shift that is kind of refocused on the importance of your community and the importance of your family. Because at the end of the day, that's what you, that's what you, really, you realistically work for. So if somebody at work, if your boss can show you the importance of that, that actually makes you work harder in the time that you're supposed to work. So Absolutely. I hope that can be the ultimate change. Yeah, and no more of those dumb water bottle meetings where you go and just take home a water exactly. bottle and never deal with them again. Okay, so a couple suggestions that I've been giving to every athlete that we talk about. Things that you can do during the time off. I feel like I have good uh, suggestion skills when it comes to hobbies. I know you're a big chess guy. Or are you a Sudoku dude? I, my father's been doing Sudoku puzzles for the longest time, so yes, I am. Okay, there is something called Color Coup. It is a like a board game almost of Sudoku, but instead of numbers, you're dealing with colors. There are these little balls that you sort of place on the board, and you have to do the same thing, no repeating numbers, one full box, the whole thing. And I'm telling you, I think you'll like it as a chess guy. It's called Color Coup. Color Coup. I'm, Q. Looking, up, I'm yeah. looking up, oh, Color Coup. 
It's very Ooh, good. I'm looking this up right now. I like this. Thank you. No okay. worries. You will dig it. Okay, my second one is, uh, have you watched all of Ozark on Netflix? I got in halfway through season one. I haven't been able to binge watch the rest, but okay. I love Jason Bateman. I love what's about you. That's my suggestion. I think it's very good. Also, I haven't seen The Wire yet, which I know people get on my case about. I've been waiting for a large... You have not seen The I, Wire? I know. I've been waiting for a large global pandemic. If I ever got polio or something, that was the first thing I was going to do. <laughs> so I feel like I'm letting myself down by not not watching it yet. It's, uh, you know, The Wire is, the wire is different. Ozark is different. Yeah. The wire is different. I know. I'm so telling like people that. tell me it changed television. I gotta do it. I, I'll have to do it. So that that's my that'll be my pandemic hope for hobby. Last one, business wise, I know you're you're a bit of an entrepreneurial mind. I have a perfect one for you. It is your own brand of hand sanitizer. It's Duke Colors. We can also make a Bulls variant if you want. Uh, but it's called Spray Williams instead of Jay Williams. Spray Williams? I kinda I <laughs> is it wait? Is this like a formal pitch? Are you pitching I, me right I, now? I'm not saying you are kind of like it. Yeah, I'm not saying it's Shark Tank, but are you in? Uh, it, it depends on you know how we're going to divvy up you know equity positions right. here and what your title is going to be. But yes, we can talk about it. Good I point. Mean, well, I have the other idea, which is Spay Williams, but that's a totally different business for pets. But we don't. We, <laughs> that's that's more for Denzel Washington, not not you, uh, Jay Williams. <laughs> I'm so, so happy to speak to you. Honestly, clearly, you are a evolved human being who. I am so excited to have gotten advice and talk to you during this time. It's so confusing and so strange and to have a voice that's working through it with all of us, uh, a voice and a name that we know. It's it's important to have you on the show, so I'm so thankful for it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You let me know when you, when you want me to come back on. No worries. Stay safe with your family, man. Uh, brother, you too, man. Congrats again. Thank you so much, man. The No Sports Report is produced and distributed by Treefort Media. The show is executive produced by Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and me, Jensen Karp. Our series producer is Matthew Kugler. Tom Monahan is our senior audio engineer and sound supervisor with additional production help from Tim Schauer, June Rosen, and Haley Mandelberg. With production and editing by Jasper Leek. Our theme music is composed by Spielkus. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. You have nothing else to do. Send it to your friends, tweet, share, post about it, do whatever you can. And please visit feedingamerica.org. And if you're able to make a donation, any amount will help make a difference. And you can learn more about other ways to help on their website. For more information on the No Sports Report, links to the socials, and for our show transcripts for the hearing impaired listeners, please go to treefort.fm. Be safe and be well.